Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 122, entitled Born to Run. First though, some uh, email from Bonnie, who always is a uh, such a wonderful supporter of the show, uh, concerning the episode where Boone dies. She says, poor Boone, he survives one plane crash, gets half crushed to death in a second, and then has to deal with Dr. Jerk tending to his wounds. Clearly, Jack was absent the day his medical ethics class read the Hippocratic Oath. Egads. Uh, Bonnie goes on to say, Boone's last words were probably, tell Shannon to get Dr. Kevorkian. Uh, Bonnie goes on to say, made me glad Jack did not attend Claire's labor. Maybe he would have taken that knife he started to cut Boone's leg off with and used it to perform a cesarean section. Uh, Bonnie also has a question. Uh, which is um, uh, this. Was Juliet a research scientist or an obstetrician? Doctors in either field might be trained as a fertility expert. We see her in a surgical suite, unsuccessful in her attempt to deliver a woman on the island. She performs an appendectomy on Jack. But during Ben's operation, she is dismissed by Tom for not being integral to the surgery. Yes, yes, there was that little issue of her treachery, but if she had surgical skills, Jack surely would need her help. Small point, but I thought my lost expert might have the answer. Well, Bonnie, I uh, have at least uh, a partial answer. According to Lostpedia, uh, Dr. Juliet Burke was a fertility specialist uh, who, of course, ended up on the island trying to solve the fertility problems. And uh, specifically, she had worked uh, with her one-time husband, uh, Edmund Burke. They, uh, they had worked at the Miami Central University Medical Research Laboratory. So it certainly does seem to me that Juliet is more of a, uh, you know, more on the research end than, uh, than um, you know, the, the OB hands-on uh, end. Um, hope that that certainly answered your question. And with that, let's move on to the Wikipedia summary for this episode. Kate is living under the alias Joan Hart. She returns later to her hometown to visit her dying mother, and while there, meets up with her now-married ex-boyfriend, Tom Brennan, who was a doctor at the hospital. The two decide to dig up a lunchbox time capsule they buried back in 1989. Among its contents are Tom's toy airplane and a tape recording that they made to mark the occasion of the burial. Later, with Tom's help, Kate is able to be alone with her mother and apologize. However, her mother begins to scream for help. Kate flees, knocking out a policeman before running to Tom, who gives her the keys to his car and climbs into it. When the police try to block their exit from the hospital, Kate implores Tom to get out of the car, but Tom refuses. As the police open fire at the speeding vehicle, Kate rams theirs out of the way before crashing into another. 
With the car brought finally to a halt, Kate looks over at Tom and finds him dead. Distraught and left with no choice but to flee, Kate climbs out of the car and runs. On the island, Charlie and Kate discuss the fame that awaits them if they are rescued, and this disturbs Kate. A survivor named Dr. Leslie Arts, a teacher, suddenly announces that the monsoon season is coming, where the winds go south, that they have to go north to reach the shipping lanes. He exclaims that the raft must leave immediately so the forces of nature won't turn against them. Michael then hurries to finish the raft, and Kate seeks a spot. Michael refuses, reiterating that all the places have already been booked. After a conversation with Sawyer, however, Michael reconsiders, reasoning in spite of their deal that Sawyer has little grasp of the art of sailing and will be of little assistance once the voyage is underway. Sawyer storms off to confront Kate, whom he rightly perceives as his biggest threat, telling her that he knows why she wants to be on the raft. She wants to escape capture from the authorities in the outside world. Saeed and Jack meet Locke at the hatch. Surprised what he finds there, Jack asks Locke why he failed to tell anyone about it. There follows a brief confrontation between the two leaders, after which Jack states his belief that the hatch ought to be opened. This prompts a furiously nervous response from Saeed, who fears its contents. At the beach, Michael suddenly becomes ill while working with Jin. Jack examines him and discovers the cause of the illness. He eventually discovers some partially dissolved drugs in a water bottle from which Michael had been drinking. Sawyer is initially suspected, but so is Kate, leading Jack to confront her about it. She denies any involvement, uh, apparently offended that Jack should think her capable of such a thing. Walt, meanwhile, assures Locke that he is not responsible either, fearing that he suspects him after his earlier sabotage of the raft. When Locke touches Walt's arm to assure him that his fears are unfounded, Walt becomes frightened and, in spite of having no prior knowledge of the hatch, begs Locke not to open, quote-unquote, it, that is, the hatch. Sawyer walks up on the recovering Michael and offers him a bottle of antacid. Michael kicks him off the raft. Furious, Sawyer exposes Kate's criminalism to everyone present. Kate is forced to admit that she was the person in the marshal's custody. As the raft is hurried toward completion, Jack confronts Sun about the poisoning. Sun admits that she is the one responsible, explaining that she wanted to keep Jin from leaving. Jack had reasoned that it was easy for Jin and Michael to mix up their water bottles. He promises her that he will not tell. Later in a private conversation with Kate, Sun swears not to tell anyone that the drugging was Kate's idea. That night, Walt confesses to his father that he was responsible for the fire on the destroyed first raft. Walt explains that he wanted to stay on the island. Michael, surprised, says that they can still stay behind, but Walt insists that they leave. With that, let's get now to my thoughts about the episode. This was a uh, this was an enjoyable episode, despite the fact that I'm not really a Kate fan, and I wasn't crazy about the flashback story. Um, nonetheless, I, I certainly felt that it was rich uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so anyhow, the uh, the episode opens on a field off island. It was an intriguing opening. Uh, definitely a great hook in to have the, you know a cold opening in a spot that we don't know where we're at, who we're with, um, and to have that cold opening after so many episodes that either require previously on Lost or some sort of re- resumption of on island stories. So it's just nice to kind of uh, have the pace be mixed up. You add to that a mysterious blonde woman undressing and heading for the shower. A delicious beginning indeed. 
Um, it is, of course, rather predictably Kate, who is uh, on the run, who we see dyeing her hair back to its uh, presumably natural brown. Um, I tend to be rather dismissive of the flashback stories, of course, as they're, you know, they're generally less compelling than the island stuff. But seeing Kate desperately on the run, reviving that, uh, retrieving rather that mystery letter, crying her eyes out, it's, uh, it's compelling stuff indeed. I suppose too, right, that, that, the, that letter is, uh, is a mystery that's left unresolved in the episode. Um, there's also just, uh, you know, when they, when they go back on island, there's just the wonderful contrast of Charlie planning to return to the main world, a famous man, and Kate troubled that the specter of fame will, uh, will befall her given her, uh, given her tussled and rough past. Then, of course, we get introduced to that self-important Dr. Arts uh, he's just a fantastic little character, one of the great supporting guys of the show. Uh, his bomba- bombastic pomposity is just wonderful. He's standing there with a stick. He's you know kind of as though it's a, a cane or a baton, and he's just making these proclamations. And uh, it's just it's great fun to see him return and return and return again. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember if he shows up in. Um, if he shows up in the flash sideways on the plane, I feel like he should be there. Um, but for life of me, I can't remember if he was there. I suppose that's something that uh, a dear listener could either email me about or tweet me about on Twitter, or uh, or I'll just wander across it uh, myself at a certain point. But anyhow, it's just great to see Dr. Arts. Um, on top of that, you have Michael forcefully telling Kate that there's no chance she'll get on the raft. It just all makes for a wonderful, wonderful start to the episode. Um, and then uh, there, there too is um, uh, the mystery of the flashback, and it's an it's an effective start to the flashback. Uh, mysterious lady dying of cancer. Tom, the doctor. Who are these people? How are they connected? Um, I don't know that that tension carries on for the entire. Uh, the entire episode in fact i would argue that it doesn't that it just kind of gets a bit mushy towards the end but um it's you know it's a decent enough start it really is um then of course even on top of that we get to the meat and potatoes of the the first season the hatch there's this wonderful crane shot revealing that the round uh you know revealing the round hatch as well as the pit that's been dug out around it i know that there's been you know a similar camera shot uh, when we first see the degree to which the hatch has been dug out, but it's uh, it still is just uh, it's just a reminder of the uh, the largeness of this thing and the the importance that it plays uh, has played in the show so far up to episode one twenty uh, one twenty two here, as well as the importance that it will play in the series as a whole. Um, so I mean, just between the storyline uh, of the hatch and the raft's upcoming launch, there's just this tremendous sense of speed to the episode, and indeed, the whole episode just boils, as you'll hear in this clip. I want your spot. I'll get your spot. The episode really is just—it's uh, just zipping along. It's a great—it's uh, a great episode, or at least a great start to the episode. I know—I don't know—I feel like the pace does. Uh, doesn't last the entire time but it's just uh you know it's just a it's a solid solid start to the episode this being uh, essentially the final episode before the finale which of course is a uh a 
three-hour two-part finale, uh, Exodus Part 1 being one episode and uh, Exodus Part 2 being the length of two episodes. But anyhow, um, of course, we also have a bit of foreshadowing from Michael about the island. Yeah, sure, of course. The thing is, this island uh, is uh, finding it again might be hard. Can't we fly around and look for it? Absolutely. But there's no guarantees. Not too bad for a guy who's going to spend a lot of time trying to return to the island. Um, and I suppose to a larger, uh, maybe not a larger sense, but in another sense, I mean, that's true for Walt as well. Um, a bit later, I'll be talking about, you know, how, how this episode is presenting Walt as the magic Walt and some of these powers that kind of never, uh, never end up coming through for Walt. But, um, it, uh, it's, I don't know, I feel, I, I definitely feel charitable towards this episode. It was in, enjoyable to watch. I felt that, you know, stuff like this business of it's going to be tough to find the island again, even though Michael doesn't get off the island, as we know, uh, well, at least till the end of season two, right? It's still, it's just, uh, it's like this is the show in command of itself, in command of its own, um, oh, its own sense of where it's going. Um, there's also, I mean, just some, some blistering dialogue. Uh, there's a hatch discussion between, uh, Jack and Locke, which is just absolutely wonderful. Three weeks. You've been out here for three weeks digging this thing up and you never told me about it. All due respect, Jack, but since when do I report to you? All due respect, John, but you lied. How long did you have that case full of guns before you decided the rest of us needed to know? You used your best discretion. I used mine. You want to open it? Yeah. We should bury it. I brought you here to talk him out of this insanity. Anything could be inside. Best case scenario, there's supplies. Worst case, we use it as a shelter. Actually, Jack, I can think of much worse cases than that. You notice anything about this hatch? There's no handle. Could the reason for that be more obvious? Maybe it was never meant to be opened from the outside. So, right, there's like essentially two parts to that uh, to that clip. First, there's just that great back and forth between uh, Locke and Jack. You know, uh, Locke is right in saying that he he is not supposed to report to Jack. That there's no kind of mandate that makes Jack the boss. But on the flip side, Jack certainly has that attitude that all this information should come to him uh, and that indeed Jack should be the final uh, resting place for these important decisions. Um, and you know, Jack kind of seem, seems rather uh, uh, unconcerned when, uh, when Locke uh, says, you know, well, you made the call about the gun case. That was your deal. And I made the call about not telling people about the hatch. And that was my deal. Um, I, I think to Jack, there's not the distinction because indeed it all should kind of uh, flow uphill to him. Um, then there's the bit here about Saeed. Saeed does make an excellent point. Uh, I mean, it's not one that ultimately, in my opinion, is true that there's this great evil inside the hatch. But the point still is an excellent one in that it dramatically hooks us into really worrying about what's in there. Um, and, and I mean, it's it's from Saeed's point of view, with what he knows, 
uh, about the hatch. Very little, aside from the observations, there's not a handle on the outside. It's all, it's, it's, it's a perfectly um, legitimate and well-argued um, point of view. So moving on, um, after all of that, after all that on-island stuff, the Kate flashback does start to become a little tedious. One of the downsides of the flashback device is that it introduces new mysteries, which are either single serve or of minor importance. Um, add to that all the kind of guarded talk of uh, Diane will get an MRI. Is it still there? We might not get another chance to see it. It just kind of comes across as a bit annoying. They're trying very, very hard to have this mystery. And for what? I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I continue to be somewhat annoyed about this notion of, you know, the Kate's toy plane and how important that is. You know, it's the man she loved, the man she loved, the man she killed. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's like this story exists because they wanted to do a second part to the story from the first Kate flashback where she breaks into the, uh, into the bank just to get the toy plane. I mean, fine. So the toy plane is a symbol of the innocence that she had with this boy who was her boyfriend when she was nine. And then he wanted to stay and have babies and she wanted to just run. And, uh, you know, here, here, here they are having both realized, uh, what they both wanted. And, you know, it's just, it's a bit kind of by the numbers, fill in the blank, mad lib, not, not mad libs, but, you know, just kind of a fill in the blank, um, storyline. Um, yeah, you know, it's just not that interesting. Meanwhile, there's a much more interesting story going on. Who poisoned Michael? And of course, who's at the center of of this information yet again? But uh, well, you'll see who. Michael and Jen getting along? Well, they fight like a married couple building a raft together. You told him? I think Sawyer might have done it. Oh, because of Kate? Kate. Yeah, I guess she wants on the raft. The story went off on Michael because, you know, he gets to decide who goes. Hey, you don't think Kate did it, do you? Why would Kate poison Michael? Well, you know, the whole fugitive thing. He doesn't know. Well, how am I supposed to keep straight who knows what around here? I mean, Steve didn't even know about the polar bear. What does she do? I don't know. Why don't you ask her? And you didn't think the others should know about this, Jim? I love that that clip ends up with Locke essentially giving a big F you to Jack, given that Jack took Locke to task for not telling him about the hatch. Um, of course, as I had said earlier, who's at the center of information? It's Hurley. Um, to me, it's yet another example of just how, uh, you know, how um, Hurley is being set up as the future leader of the island, how he has this knowledge. Uh, I mean, again, he, he's not, you know, he's not the brightest one there. He's not the best, uh, the best one who can, uh, you know, kill a boar, who can fix an injury. But it's like he's at the crossroads of information. He's in the know, but nobody is uh, suspicious of him or trying to sabotage his knowledge or, or this sort of thing. And, um, of course, you, you know, you put uh, Jorge Garcia, Terry O'Quinn, and uh, Matthew Fox in a scene. It's just going to, it's going to sing anyway. Um, now, we go from that to a moment of frustration, in my opinion. Watching Kate dig up her stupid metal lunchbox that has some useless memories, a new kids on the block lunchbox, mind you, uh, 
I started to wonder if I have some sort of Kate bias, some sort of dislike for the character. You know, if I'm bringing something to the table that maybe the the uh, the producers don't intend. I don't know if if, if I knew a, a Kate type and I'm somehow uh, you know psychologically predisposed to disliking her. I don't know. But when Tom pulls that plane out, you know, and gasp, what a big reveal it is! This is indeed the man she loved, the man she killed. That's when I realized that I really don't care about Kate as a character, at least at this point in the in the the series. What is the point of this flashback? To show that Kate was a heartfelt kid once, that Tom wanted to settle down and Kate wanted to run. Um, P.S. Kate wants to run, we're told, because, quote, you know why. So it's kind of, I mean, I'm certainly not being critical of the show of, you know, give it, answering uh, answering something with another mystery, but... Still, it's just kind of like they're once again kind of prolonging stuff with Kate. And to me, it just comes off as a tad irritating. Um, it's just yet another mystery down the rabbit hole of Kate. Um, I, I don't know. I just think that I, you know, I just don't like Kate in this episode. And as I said, I, I don't care for Kate in the first season. Um, pro- I think perhaps because she is just so elementally completely broken as a person. She... You know, this is another episode where I think not a lot is being offered to Kate to be for us to feel uh, not a lot is being offered from Kate for us to feel redeemed. Um, you know, just as we saw her in the, uh, the 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 bank robbery episode, you know, planning these awful things and putting all these people in, in harm's way. Kind of same thing here. You know, Tom really doesn't need to die. It's just through her own. Um, Oh, her own ego, her own self-centeredness, uh, that we see her uh, acting the way, you know, the, we see her acting the way she does. And indeed, even on the island, um, you know, this business of trying, you know, having, uh, telling son to poison gin, it's just kind of these machinations of Kate essentially being self-centered. Because, of course, does Kate really want gin to be with son? Eh. Or does Kate want Jin not on the raft so Kate can jump in there and thereby avoid a confrontation with Sawyer? So it's not Sawyer's spot she's taking. It's Jin's spot. That's Kate's motivation. Completely self-centered. She lies to Jack about any involvement to it. Anyhow, grr, Kate. Grr. So add to that. Add to that bit of annoyance for me. To the return of Magic Walt, which is one of the most misguided uses of a character that we have in the entire series. Uh, Locke, of course, is discussing Michael's sickness with Walt. Uh, with, not just with any Walt. This is now with Magic Walt. Uh, Locke puts his hand on Magic Walt's arm, and once physical contact is made, the magic flows, as we'll hear in this clip. We're friends, Walt. I didn't tell any before, and I'm not going to tell on you now, and I know you would never do anything to hurt your dad. What's the matter? Don't open it. What'd you say? Don't open it, Mr. Locke. Don't open that thing. What, what thing? What you... Just don't open it. Don't open it? I mean, it's just bull feathers. Good things, in my mind, are inside the hatch. Uh, you know, Desmond and Chance for Rescue and, and, uh, and all this that we've discussed before. Maybe it's just that the show doesn't know what is in the hatch yet. Uh, I mean, certainly there's no end to my love uh, for the show. Obviously, I'm dedicating all this time to the podcast and all that. But it, it's fair to say that the show absolutely has been guilty of of not having a plan at times. 
Uh, that's kind of one of the legendary things about the show that they, you know, the the pilot episode that you know the two part pilot episode it was put together so quickly that they really didn't have a sense of where to go. They just left enough room to say, you know, okay, this monster thing can be blank, and there's a whole litany of things that can fit into the small uh, number of details that, that you've been given about the monster in the first episode. Same thing here. Not only is you know, is Walt kind of forecasting some evil about the the hatch, which I don't see being there. Um, but on top of it, it's just this this business of the magic Walt. Um, and it's irritating. It's something that they don't really ever um, properly deal with, with the possible exception of the, the DVD-only epilogue, The New Man in Charge, where at least Walt is still considered special and is still brought back to the island. That little uh epilogue to me that covers a lot a lot a lot of sins regarding walt um all i mean i it being part of the show it's difficult for me to um to seriously discount this notion of the magic walt uh given that they do return to it by the end of the series if, if one includes the epilogue but it's just tremendously irritating because without that epilogue uh there's a lot of a uh, lot of things involving Walt that just that just don't ultimately add up. So thus ends my rant about Walt. Um, moving on, uh, as for characters that uh, that the writers do know uh, better than Walt, uh, I love how when push comes to shove, Sawyer just absolutely demolishes Kate. Give that back! Leave her alone! Leave her alone! Give that back! Look! Look at this. Sawyer, please. You all remember Joanna, don't you? Huh? The woman who drowned? Now, what's Kate doing with poor Joanna's ID? Could it be she'd do just about anything to get on that raft? So she could get herself rescued? run off with a new identity before half the reporters in the world descend on this damn island? She might even poison a captain himself. Shut up! As I said before, the interesting thing is, once again, Kate is being uh, made unlikable in these Kate-centric episodes. Uh, I can only imagine that it's something that the show is doing, uh, is doing intentionally. She's clearly the number one suspect for the poisoning of Michael, even though you know, ultimately, she's not the most guilty one. I mean, she's guilty of kind of planting the idea with Son. Um, there's also the subtle aspect of her manipulating Tom, um, especially since at this point in the episode, we know that he's going to die. He's the, the toy plane guy. Um, it's just, you know, Kate continues to be tremendously uh, unlikable and made so by the show, even to the point that her own mother isn't a huge fan. I mean, that's uh, when you're damned by your mother uh, like that, um, particularly given that the show hasn't uh, explained the context of what Kate did yet. 
I mean, that's as I say, that's pretty damning indeed. Uh, uh, and I mean, I think perhaps the mother's being uh, unfair, given. I mean, not that one should ever, uh, not that one should ever blow up one's stepfather for any reason. But uh, I mean, ultimately, you know what Kate did uh, regarding uh, how awful he was to the mother and to Kate. Uh, I mean, for by TV drama rules, his his uh, being killed is understandable enough. But and I suppose the mother kind of putting up with it is um, is uh, certainly a sad comment about her own um, you know abused mindset or this sort of thing but still within the context of this episode what's there like about kate when her own mother looks at her her own mother you know knows that her her end uh, is coming soon at the hands of cancer and sees her daughter and you know uses what little energy she has to say help 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 um anyhow uh the final flashback which is kate speeding away with tom in the car for as mushy as the flashback story got in this episode, this final flashback, it's oddly effective because, of course, loyal viewers know that Tom is toast. Um, you know, he's the, the, the toy plane guy. Here's this increasingly uh, dramatic uh, scene. The walls are closing in. The police are blocking everything off. The cop has his gun out. He's shooting at the car. You know, clearly we know Tom is, is dying in this episode. Um, after Tom has died... Uh, director Tucker Gates makes the decision to keep zooming in and out slightly as though he isn't quite sure how to frame the, like a still unfolding scene. I, I want to make it clear. I mean that as a compliment. It's like it's being shot as a documentary and uh, the, the cameraman isn't quite sure of how to capture what's going on. Um, it also gives a slight feeling of a heartbeat too. Um, and, and I don't mean a heartbeat in terms of, you know, Tom has died. I just mean kind of that moment after a crisis. Because, of course, you know, the crash has now just concluded where you're just kind of, you know, adrenaline is flow, flowing through your veins. You're a little shaky. You're a little, you feel like your eyes are seeing everything. It's just kind of this this shock to everything where you don't need to be reacting. The the uh, the crisis is over, but your body is still amped up. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice final, final flashback scene. Um... Also, too, kind of it, that that flashback scene, of course, uh, interrupts um, Sawyer's uh, outing of uh, outing of Kate to everyone. After Kate does indeed fess up to Michael, the reaction shots are just wonderful. It's horrified people turning their backs on her. Uh, it's a bit evocative of uh, in last week's episode when um, when Locke uh, showed up at Boone's funeral, covered in Boone's blood, which probably would not have been my choice. Um, you know, one shouldn't show up to the funeral of a, of a dead man wearing the dead man's blood. But anyhow, it's just kind of, you know, similar that um, the group is so horrified with the individual. Um, I like, too, that it's Sun who poisoned Michael. She was trying for Jin, uh, you know, trying to poison Jin in order to have him stay. Uh, I like that the Sun michael Jin triangle lives within this poisoning mystery. Uh, and I like that Sun must prepare to say goodbye to Jin. Uh, this is, of course, Jin who leaves her, leaves her twice, or shall we say, has an opportunity to leave her three times. He leaves her once in the raft. He leaves her once in the freighter, both in the water, of course. And then the third time Jin can leave Sun uh, is, of course, in the submarine when Jin in the water. Once again, for a third time, Jin will not leave her. So we kind of have that, that literary, literary rule of threes here. This episode is leading towards that first time the Jin leaves on water. The second time on the on the freighter, Jin leaves 
or they are separated on water, in, in a sense. Water is present. Uh, Jin jumps in the water to avoid the freighter explosion. And then, of course, looking ahead to the final episodes of the series, we have Jin um, not leaving her uh, in the water as they both uh, as they both tenderly drown. And that uh, brings a little bit of a, a frog in my throat at the thought of that. It was just uh, such a wonderful episode. One that we will get to in, oh, about a year and a half. So keep listening. Um, the episode starts to wrap up with Sawyer declaring that he must leave the island because there's nothing worth staying for. Uh, add to that a long, mournful look at Kate. We know that Sawyer has this hole in his heart. I love how well they, you know, they continually present Sawyer as um, somebody who we are always sympathetic for. Whatever his crimes are, we kind of never um, fully dislike him for it. We never kind of look at him uh, with the disgust that you might have for Jack at times, for Jin, for Kate, um, for Locke to a certain degree. I mean, Locke kind of doesn't have many, he doesn't have any sins, but certainly you think of the angry, empty, uh, paralyzed Locke. Uh, you know, he's not particularly likable, but we kind of never fully condemn Sawyer for his past. Uh, and of course, it couldn't help me think ahead, too, that the, the hole in Sawyer's heart will be plugged by Juliet, whose character is out there, waiting uh waiting to be found um in due course um all the episode can't end of course without magic walt popping his head up again to say yes they must leave magic walt fears the hatch uh magic walt doesn't have a lot of character direction uh as i said you know this a lot of these complaints to me uh are, are, are solved by the dvd epilogue the new man in charge um and it's a band-aid that covers many sins with the character of Walt. But I guess at the end of the day, the show consistently says there's something special about Walt. Walt fades away at the end of season two, uh, returns very, very little. But within the, the storyline of the show, makes his way back to the, to the island. Um, as much as I'm complaining about Magic Walt, at least it is effective, right? It is kind of interesting, him saying, no, we have to leave, you know, implying there's this danger out there, da-da-da-da-da. And... We could be getting more and more tense and end on that on that tense note, but instead we end with this clip. When I was a little girl, I believed that once I found the man I loved, I would be happy forever. Yeah. just it yeah me too that's how it ends um it's another instance and it's been a while since we've had it but it's another instance of the show just stops it doesn't really end uh it just stops now of course okay fine you know son's talking about this belief in in a in a man to be dedicated to and uh we've seen a flashback where that's kind of about that but not really since kate uses tom the entire time just to get to her mother to say her peace to her dying mother um this episode does nothing uh, this ending does nothing to springboard me towards uh the start of the season finale um that i'm supposed to be so excited about and here i've been you know watching the show for the first time all these episodes and now we're starting to wrap it up and 
this does nothing to kind of springboard into the final episode. Had you had Walt talking about the hatch, um, I frankly would have preferred that. I don't know what the decision was. I mean, certainly that must have been discussed in the writing room, in the editing room, by the producers, whatever, but it just kind of, it just stops. The episode just stops. Luckily, though, our podcast can t- uh, continue. Uh, Bonnie, who I mentioned before, had uh, also sent in an email about this episode, and she briefly said, Born to Run presented an, an interesting facet of Kate's backstory that found the pacing awkward and slow. Having it be the episode right before the season finale seemed odd placement for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree there with Bonnie. Um, I, I say probably the only saving grace is that since it is a two-part season finale, if you want to count Exodus Part 1 as the springboard into the two-hour finale in terms of your, your thinking, how you're viewing it from home, this sort of thing, okay, fine. Um, also mentioned that uh, Lana Luck from Twitter uh, had mentioned that indeed Arts uh, does not appear in the church scene, uh, but she said that she would have liked to have seen him there. So I certainly agree. Uh, I mean, I agree. He's kind of like one of the beloved characters in part because he's on there so shortly. I mean, you think of, uh, you think of I mean, how many episodes must he have been on? Uh, these couple of ones, I mean, I think he dies in Exodus Part 1. Um, and then you have him appearing probably, let's see, probably in Exodus Part 2. There's the montage of them getting on the plane. So that makes it three episodes. Uh, I know in, um, is it Expose? Is that the name of the, uh, the rather awful um, episode with, uh, oh, who are those two? Nikki and Paolo. Um, I know he appears in that, um, but just kind of, you know, I mean, so you think of him versus say, uh, you know, some of the other characters who, who, uh, were recurring characters like, you know, Lapidus was in, uh, the show, I believe seasons three, four, five, and six. So Lapidus was in it for four seasons, uh, and arts was in it for maybe five episodes, but arts certainly, um, kind of has the enduring, uh, the enduring memory. Anyhow. Um, now I'll take a quick look at Lostpedia to see whatever bits and pieces I have missed. Uh, Lostpedia mentions that the time capsule that Tom and Kate dig up is, of course, a new Kids on the Block lunchbox. Uh, Kate is seen stealing that in the incident part one, and Jacob would later buy it for her. So a good bit of continuity there. And speaking of continuity, uh, Lostpedia says, an apparent continuity error arises with Arts's claim in this episode that they were on the cusp of monsoon season, despite the absence of continuous torrential rain in the season finale or thereafter. The producers addressed this issue on the podcast, stating Arts is an idiot. The Lost Missing Pieces episode, Tropical Depression, revealed that Arts was lying in order to launch the raft as soon as possible. I would add, too, I mean, the, the pomposity of Arts uh, in his entire run in the show certainly... Um, certainly lends itself to this idea that, uh, you know, like, like to me it's not a continuity error just because somebody comes along and says there's going to be monsoon season, it's going to rain a lot, and then it doesn't. I mean, to me, I mean, we can explain that away a bunch of ways. Arts is an idiot. Arts doesn't know what he's talking about. That certainly is suggested within the, um, or within the episode. You also can just say he was wrong, or you can say it's the island, for goodness sake. There's all these strange things going on. Perhaps you know, the monsoons missed the island because of the magnetism or because the whatever, whatever, whatever. To me, it's, I don't know, Lostpedia sometimes is a bit um, a bit strict with its uh, oh, condemnations for continuity errors. 
With that, let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 123, entitled Exodus Part 1. So I'm very, very excited to be getting to that. Just a quick reminder, and I made reference to this in last week's podcast. The podcast for Exodus Part 2, um, that of course is a double episode, so the podcast will be longer. Depending on how much room I have for my, uh, my Podbean account, which is where I host the, the podcast files, um, I'm, it may be necessary for the podcast for Exodus Part 2 to either come out a few days late, which is to say um, August 1st, because then... Um, that's when I get my new, you know, my new go round of uh, data storage, or the following episode might come out a little bit late, or be be like a season two preview just to to deal with um, some of these space issues. So at any rate, um, certainly my intention is for new episodes to launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. So you can always look ahead to that, and if anything is different for Exodus uh, Part Two, you can uh, well check any of those as well as uh, check my Twitter account where I where I am looking back lost. Uh, you can also say hello to me there. You can send emails to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can always find the show on iTunes where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you once again for listening and for joining me for this week's podcast. It is uh, such great, great fun. And uh, I look forward to talking to you all next week for episode 123, Exodus Part 1. Take care. Bye-bye. Smashing. Okay. Check this out. This is track two. It's called... Sorry? It's called Monster Easter Pilot. <laughs>